Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. Today, we have a special episode for you. This is from a conversation I had with Dr. Whitney Green, who's a solution architect at a platform called Kidum. We caught up a little while back and we're talking about the question that's on everyone's mind nowadays. Does AI belong in your classroom? Really had an enjoyable conversation. We even got a little bit of interaction from the audience, which you'll hear some questions that Whitney and I were able to dig into. Hopefully you enjoy this. We'll be back again soon with more episodes. Thanks as always for listening. The center of the learning universe is the classroom. We got a lot of stakeholders out there who are thinking about how should I use AI in the classroom? So I'm excited to, to kick it around with you today. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I think you're exactly right. I love the 3.5 because you already know the 4.0 is coming. No, it's out. Oh, oh my bad, it's out. We, will we get a 4.5? We don't know. Yet, I've likened it to like men's razors, you know, where like, yeah, I got a great idea, Gillette. Six razors. It's going to be like that. I'm Dr. Whitney Green. I am privileged to be here. I am the solutions architect at Kidum, the Kidum, where we house digital curriculum and create a dynamic digital learning environment. Just for a little bit of background, I'm a former educator. Actually, I don't even like to say former. I am an educator. I have done everything from teaching in a classroom to administration, where I recently left the district level. So I'm very excited to talk about this. I've got a lot of friends in education in the classrooms, district level, administrative, some getting their doctorates. And it's a really popular topic. So let's jump into it. I know everybody's excited to kind of hear what are we even talking about today? Who doesn't love a good agenda, Mike, right? I don't know. I love a good agenda. Okay, good. Me too. Me too. So we're really going to be focusing on how do we even get here with AI? Because for some, it kind of just feels like it just popped up. And now all of a sudden, as educators, we're like, how do we put a cap on it? Or how do we handle this? And then I love the doomers versus accelerationism. I hope yeah. I so I've heard accelerationists too. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh -huh. We've got some ists and there are isms depending yeah. on how you're using it. Right. Um, and then really thinking about today is we've got a lot of educators on it. So we really want to speak to you today from so many perspectives from what do you do in the classroom with AI? How do you actually utilize this for best practices? Because there's so many ways, but there's also strategies with that. And same at the district level, you know, we're hearing a lot of districts are handling AI right now differently than even at the collegiate level. And so we'll definitely talk about that. And you know, we're all here for one reason, impact on student learning. So we want to make sure we talk about that today. All right, Mike. How do we get here? <laughs> how, how much time do you have? I mean, part of this really goes even further back. If you think about the history of computing, like Ada Lovelace and, you know, how computational power came online in the 50s with the transistor. And then that led to a lot of innovation. But if you think about the history of tech innovation, there's been even going back to Turing, there's been a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and how eventually it's going to come online. Looking at some of the quotes we have here to the ability of a digital computer or computer controlled robot to perform tasks commonly associated with intelligent beings. You know, that's something that's been happening since the 50s. Deep blue chess simulations, you know, 1997 beats Gary Kasparov. The neural nets come online. That's where, you know, with all the computing power that we have, can we use the brain as a model and how the brain solves things? Let's replicate that. But at a massive computing scale that comes online, you know, last 10 years or so. And really, it wasn't until last year that we had kind of the step change, you know, point of inflection around this stuff where ChatGPT 3.5 was released by OpenAI. 
Also, you may have seen OpenAI has been in the news, even just in terms of its leadership being, you know, out and then back in around Sam Altman. So it is very much top of mind, both in terms of the software strategy and what they've been doing in terms of releasing it. You know, it's the most widely adopted app really in the history of the internet, you know, to get to a hundred million, it never really happened that fast. So, you know, in some ways it was an interface innovation that made it really accessible to everybody. I've likened it to like, you know, the printing press back in the day where it used to be only the scribes had access to the sacred books and they were in limited capacity. And then suddenly Gutenberg comes along and everybody can have their own personal yeah, they have their Bible, you know, that le- arguably leads to the Reformation, et cetera, et cetera. So the technology is really powerful, impactful. And folks have been talking about this technology coming online, generative AI specifically, which we can talk a little more about, like what exactly is generative AI. But it is a bit of a game changer just because stuff that we thought was going to be something we humans hold on to, like, we'll let you, you know, maybe drive a truck or we'll let you correct our grammar. But when it comes to designing images or writing the next great novel, that's something that's uniquely human. Now all that is a little bit more up in the air. So that's kind of how we got there. What that means to the classroom, you know, to your point, there was a natural tendency, I think, to slam on the brakes when it came out and like keep it out too much too soon. Like we're just coming out of the pandemic. Give us a chance to catch our breaths. But the reality is this technology is a big enough deal. It's not going to go away. You can't really hide your head in the sand. So that's why I think the timing of this conversation is really great. And hopefully we can hear a little bit from folks who are out there. It's a pretty interesting moment in time. It's also been likened to, you know, in the 90s when the internet was just coming online, except that was a slower rate of adoption. You know, the technology wasn't so fast for those of us old enough to remember our modems would screech and it would take a long time for you to actually upload your email. This is sort of the next phase where stuff's really sped up and then it's sped up in students and families' homes. So you kind of have to engage. You can't really hide from it. And I think too, it's the the simplicity of it, the accessibility of it. It's not hard to get an account is the other reality. Yeah. I mean, anybody can do it. And so just thinking about, and I love how you kind of talked about history, it is at our doorstep, right? And the reality is, as we know with everything, especially when we think about students in this case, is like, what can it do for us with kids? And I just keep wanting to go back to that because there's so many amazing things that you can do with students. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel like this thing that we make forbidden and hidden. Because as we all know with kids, if you make it something like, oh, don't touch it, don't use it, they are going to be more apt to want to go and check it out and see like, why don't you want me looking at this? You know, right, right. And so really making people knowledge about that today is is a key piece and and really how we got here and where we're headed. Right. So thinking about our doomers, especially in education and, and Mike, I know you've had a lot of conversations with people. I think for some doomers to me is that the, the fear of the unknown, right? These radical changes, what is it going to do? What's this going to mean for us? Especially when we think about education. Mm-hmm. teachers, you know, just the technology piece alone has been a, a shift, right? Yes. We, we yes. For so long of just everything was print, consumable. And now, especially since the pandemic, we have seen what technology can do for our kids. And so mm-hmm. just even thinking about that with chat GPT is a big one and AI. Again, it's really just kind of trying to find the the balance. But with that, tell us a little bit about what you kind of heard with accelerationists though, too. So we've got the doomers who are like, I'm not sure about this expansion so quickly. And then we've got people who are like all in and maybe leaning too much that way. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a real tension. And this is mostly within Silicon Valley. Like this is within technology circles. Mark Andreessen, one of the founders of Andreessen Horowitz, he wrote his AI manifesto. And in addition to doomers and accelerationists, he was also talking about bootleggers versus Baptists. Mm -hmm meaning that once you build some regulations in about how this stuff gets used, he's basically an accelerationist. He's saying, you're going to build these speed bumps in, but the people who build those speed bumps in aren't going to really understand the technology. And it's going to incentivize folks to either say, don't use it at all, or to become a bootlegger. That was almost the initial instinct. The New York City School District banned ChatGPT initially. You know, that was wow. back in March or February of, of 23. But since then, they've started to relax their guidelines. But that's the point I'd also make around K-12, where like in some ways we're out over our skis a little on this stuff, where, you know, understanding how you're managing your data security, you know, your cybersecurity, just making sure you're protecting the information that needs to be protected and students have easy access, you know, like those are real challenges that school districts and educators were already challenged with. EdTech was challenged with that as well. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, there's this idea, well, now just throw, throw like open access to chat GPT into the mix. And the reality is if you're doing your, you know, acceptable use thinking and you're kind of establishing guidelines within your school, it's not like kids can just use any software, just go to any domain and start using software. There's some approval process. There's some governance of that. So I think that's where the the real tension is probably still to this day is that to your point, Whitney, like we have really accessible transformative technology that everybody has really in their hands with their phones. But then at the same time, schools can only move so fast. And in particular, I think schools thinking in a little more sophisticated way about what is an acceptable use policy. It's something I've heard a little more even on the higher ed side, but I'm also hearing it more around K-12. How do you think about using your students' data? How do you think about managing against you know misinformation? These tools are notoriously counterfactual at times, like they kind of make stuff up, they hallucinate, although I've heard you're not supposed to say, you don't want to anthropomorphize them or personify them too much, but they kind of, they feel like flawed humans, you know, they were trained on us. It's also, there's this idea of Luddites, you know, anti-technology people, and there's a lot of, especially post-pandemic, you know, like folks want to get back to human-to-human -human connection. Yeah. That's a big part of education. You know, what I would encourage, especially for teachers, is to use it personally, like just kick the tires on your own time, just to kind of get a feel for what it is and understand what it's like so that you could at least talk about it, you know, because I think building exercises in where your classroom is using an LLM, that's some pretty advanced, that's what I mean by being kind of, you know, out over your skis, where mm -hmm. like, I, th I think we have to catch up to this technology and it's moving really fast. And I think that's why you kind of wind up in the middle too, where you're not saying, let's not go any faster. But also, let's it's not doom and gloom. We have to kind of keep up with the rate of change. Yeah. And I, I love that you even said rate of change. And, and that is kind of what we're talking about, right? Like, you think about 10 years ago, and we wouldn't even be thinking about even the idea of, with Kidum, like a digital curriculum, right? Yeah. That you have now enhanced features with. 10 years right. ago, you would have been, that would never have come to mind of like, wow, I can personalize assignments for all students, right? And so, mm -hmm. but again... When we uncover these tools that support what teachers do every day in the classroom, and again, 
it's about becoming knowledgeable, right? So we really need to be exposing people to what it can do, but being honest about like, hey, here's the pitfalls of, of what could happen if we don't provide those structures, if we don't provide the guidance. And I think that's why in education right now, it, it has felt like, whoa, this has gotten in the hands of kids, teachers, whomever, and we don't really know enough about it. So for some, it has been the immediate stop. But I think we're now in a place where people are kind of getting to a point like, okay, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how can we effectively utilize this. So mm-hmm. yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and and Sydney's got a really interesting question kind of related to this. How might schools continue progressing without keeping up with the rate of change? One could argue that it's not possible to keep up with the rate of change for AI in a K-12 system. I think when you talk about the individual technology use cases, that's true. Like you're not going to be able to keep up with the cycle times. The stuff's changing so fast. But I think in terms of modeling, kind of like media fluency, digital fluency, critical thinking, that's where I think all of our educators now have a role to play in doing that. Like there's a leadership element to this, which includes, I think, being transparent about some of the vulnerability here where like this technology is really moving fast. I'm having trouble keeping up, but here's what I'm learning. And then figuring out where within the curriculum, you know, the relevance problem. I think if there are ways in which you could connect just about any aspect of K-12 education to what's emerging with LLMs, I think you're immediately going to connect with students who are trying to figure this technology out. One way I've been thinking about it is one of the biggest AI companies out there is TikTok. You know, TikTok is AI. It's it's a content algorithm. It's pointed at our kids and they're being fed content so that they don't even have to choose what's next. It just keeps feeding them what they love. And there's AI powering that. So like if you're trying to connect to what they're living with, same thing, you know, user experience is another element of the conversation that's hugely relevant where you look at TikTok, you look at OpenAI, those UIs, those user experiences are very easy to get into. They're sticky. They're almost analogous to like gaming, which is also the context that the rising generations are living in. Mm-hmm. So I'd say be like honest about what you're grappling with and then figure out, are there ways to kind of integrate the upside of this to your previous point? Like there's a tendency, Whitney, I think for us all to get, you know, Terminator about yep. this and, you know, yep. kind of <laughs> robot, robot overlords, you know, we've been talking about that, you know, science fiction for years. But when you think about even some of the breakthroughs in medicine and health science that's already happened, you know, thanks to AI and thanks to emerging technology like this, that's why I'd say it's easy to be a little too doomer. Another element of this is uh, the assistive component of artificial intelligence, the way it can help with personalization mm-hmm. and in particular reaching people who maybe haven't, you know, also, you know, English language learners, you know, there's a lot of use cases where the flexibility of these natural language processing technologies, they're going to provide a lot of meaningful breakthroughs, but I think it's probably going to be looking outside of what you can do specifically in your classroom with technology in the short term, because I think the technologies designed for K-12 classrooms are really built with that safety in mind, built with that risk management. Like you don't want to introduce something dangerous into a classroom. 
mm-hmm. that's where I think there will be an interesting, there's already a bit of a backlash against AI in some ways. Also, I've heard it's a backlash against what I've heard called AI washing, which is kind of like whitewashing, but it's basically like every technology, every platform out there now says it's powered by AI because mm-hmm. there's an expectation that AI is under the hood. And as a consumer, do you really know yeah. whether there's AI under the hood? It could all be like Very good Flint- question, actually, Flintstones, though. you know, like who knows? Are there hamster wheels involved? Who knows? It's also like a mindset thing, getting back to Sydney's question. I think you have to embrace some excitement about what's coming. I think you got to model a little bit of optimism, even while you're being transparent about how you can't keep up and it's scary at the same time. And it's got to be developmentally appropriate. I have a five-year-old. You're probably not getting into a lot of critical thinking about media with a five-year-old. But that being said, he understands what an ad is. You know, Mm -hmm. I talk to him about marketing all the time because, you know, he's being bombarded with it. And that's all going to continue to get better. He also, he likes AI toys. He likes robots, you know, like our kids are growing up surrounded by this stuff. So it's going to ultimately transform the classroom, but I think it's probably going to be more from the outside in. Well, and I think too, to that point, then we're going to get to a few of these questions. People, and some of them are similar. So I'm going to kind of ask it like that, but to speak to your point too, about how do we support parents at home with this? Cause like you said, developmentally appropriate. I know when I was in the classroom, I had parents all the time. And this was a fair statement to say, I don't know how to do the math nowadays. The traditional algorithms, they are out the door, everybody. There is more ways to skin a cat now with math than to do it. And parents, a lot of time, because of the way they were taught in school, don't know. How awesome is it as a parent? You could go to chat GPT. And if your kid says, hey, I need to do a a problem on partial quotients, you type that in and GPT can help you to support your child at home. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to questions, Mike, like I know I had parents all the time say, what are good questions to ask my reader at home? Again, this is a great way where you can actually utilize chat GPT where your child's maybe reading a chapter book and it's like, hey, I've not read that book. I haven't read the chapter, but I want to ask genuine questions. You can ask chat GPT to give you a summary of the chapter and it will populate that for you. So from a parenting academic standpoint, I am like this, I would be supporting my parents to be able to do this at home. Again, it's just another way for parents and students to connect and work together. So Mike, real quick, I'm going to just yeah. into some of these questions. It goes sure. along with AI and teachers. So the question that's kind of come up a couple of times is really around this idea of how do we utilize it in the classroom when it comes to, for example, writing, authoring essays and short responses, or I've got a humanities teacher in the room who's asking obviously around you know, how do we authentically assess student understanding and mastery and those Mm -hmm. kinds of pieces. Mm -hmm. And I think we've kind of already kind of dug into it. Here's the best thing. My friend who's getting her doctorate right now, she told me this. I was like, this is really cool. First of all, as they would, there's already apps out there that will scan chat GPT or AI. Yeah. Right. You can throw it in. It will tell you. So what this college is doing is instead of making it this negative, they're like, hey, if you're going to use chat GPT to support you with your writing, you cite it. Yeah. So schools are actually starting to cite chat GPT as a resource in your bibliography component, right? Right, right. So that's like one way that I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. And then two is when I think about students and writing, and again, being from the classroom, being in high school administratively, I saw yeah. some struggling writers. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. And I love how chat GPT could support a student mm-hmm. for these learning gaps that we're talking about and that are happening. 
Yeah. Chat GPT can genuinely actually support students on grammatical errors or how to write a thesis. There's pieces of it that would actually support them as writers. And so yes. those are just some of the things I've thought of. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. What it means to write is changing. I think it's forcing us all to ask, why are we assessing whether students can write a five paragraph essay? What's the learning objective behind that summative assessment? You know, they have mm -hmm. to submit this essay. We're going to evaluate it based on whatever criteria because then you have to unpack that. And then you probably need to redesign some of what you're doing to achieve that learning objective now because the world changed, you know, like you could just type, I need a five paragraph essay on this topic. And if the, the real purpose of that was, can I get you to create a five paragraph essay? They can say, yeah, here it is. You know, like I just got it done. What's next? And that's not a bad thing necessarily to your point. There's a lot of people who need to communicate and are going to have new tools available, you know, quadriplegics. Again, a lot of this stuff to me comes back to like universal design for learning. These technologies are assistive. Voice enabled generative AI is going to allow people to communicate, people who otherwise couldn't communicate. Yeah. And then frequently the way universal design for learning works is, the, you know, it begins as assistive. And then we think about the application to other use cases. The other thing I think around this stuff is I think it will require new thinking about how we teach writing. Yes. And all my analogies come back to my five-year-old, but, you know, training wheels is the example that I think of when it comes to writing, because we we're now in that phase where he was tooling around Brooklyn on his <laughs> training wheels like a champ. And then we took the training wheels off and he got frustrated because now he's got to learn how to ride again. And mm -hmm. I think the concern around writing is if you introduce the crutches, the training wheels, the assistive technology too soon, some of the cognitive development that yeah. really is essential. I mean, the jury's a little bit out because I do think what I keep coming back to is more interest in like, kind of like almost an undergraduate communications level of content needs to start moving into K-12 so that people understand, students understand why would I use this type of technology to produce this type of an outcome? And that's where I think these technologies, just from like a life skills perspective, you just want to kind of like navigate, become an adult, manage your resume, manage your professional brand presence. These tools are going to make it a lot easier. And I think we're going to want to figure out how to build that into what we teach our kids. Totally. And even when we think about another question that came up that I was reading on is, you know, the teacher is the content expert, right? But then how do we actually then support with instructional practices for students to demonstrate other depths of knowledge check questions ranging from like one to three? The other thing I think of as a teacher genuinely, and again, I, I really am like, oh, I would be going and asking because... I cannot tell you how many times teachers are always saying, hey, is there a questions item bank around this topic, around this standard, right? You could get ChatGPT to actually enable you to have more of those test item bank questions, and then you can apply them in your lesson. And yes. again, it's just another way where it's like, again, let's look at what ChatGPT can do for us in education, right. because even though it, it feels newer, and there's a lot of things that sure... You're right. If you just slap chat GPT in the hands of high schoolers and you didn't give any structure, you didn't give any guidance, parents weren't informed, it could go left really quick. Yeah. But here's the reality. High schoolers also take Google left really quick. For sure. So, yeah. You know, we have to recognize that, you know, yes, kids are going to push limits, push boundaries and try things. Right. 
And I think the more that we show that this is a tool that's actually going to support, again, their learning. And I can't even say enough. I get more teachers saying to me, they've got high schoolers who can't read at grade level, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so guess what? You right. can put a text inside chat GPT and you can literally level it for a reader. Right. So again, they're still getting the same content, but maybe you modify it to meet the needs of that student. So yes, that's what, so yeah, yeah, I think the real, the real upside is around personalization. I've heard folks talk about IEPs for everyone. That's something that AI could probably do is based on the data that it has at least come up with something a little more personalized than the one size fits all kind of framework. And then what the teacher needs to do is somehow mediate that. You know, I, I think AI in the classroom is facing the teacher, not the students. And to your point, it's offloading low touch, low value work, grunt work. You know, like the user experience should get better for a lot of your software that might take you longer to enter grades or use an LMS or whatever you might need to do. This AI should be streamlining a lot of that. Same thing around like hopefully your data capture and how you're kind of tracking how your students are going. Over time, that gets better so that teachers are spending less time grading, more time personalizing the coaching and the motivation, you know, kind of getting to know a little more of the, the human. You know, I've actually seen that in a lot of the conversations I've had is I think the combination of the pandemic leading right into this AI thing People are just seeking authentic humanity more than ever. And even like being in the same room with other people, you know, warming our cockles, you know, like it's nice (laughs) to just be around other humans, which is why I think in some ways there's a reflex to kind of keep the AI away because like, I don't need something else. I just need time back with my people. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, AI will probably help us have better, more human interactions with more people when we're ready for it. We'll see. You know, the other thing I've heard is that AIs might help with loneliness, which is an interesting idea. That's a very interesting topic that I think could take us down That's... on. But no, I totally know what you're saying with the human like. And I think, again, the reality is in education, when the pandemic hit, let's just be real. Districts purchased everything under the sun. They purchased any piece of something that would be able to reach kids remotely, be able to still support students, obviously, where we didn't know if kids were going to be in school, out of school. So I think there is kind of a little PTSD for teachers around that, right? But here's, though, the thing that when we say just another thing, sometimes it's like, well, I think the reason why it feels like just another thing, I guess, and genuinely saying this as an educator, what people never told us why or how. Yeah. Yeah. They just threw it at us, Mike. They'd be like, all right, here's your new curriculum. No training, right. no nothing. Good luck with it. You right, know, right. or in the pandemic, it's like, hey, we bought all these great, and again, it might be great resources, right. but it's about 10 of them. Right. How do we even decide? And it's like, and I feel like with Chat GPT, it's really about informing people and providing the guidance. And so yes. even when we think of like human to human, let's just talk about professional development and the mm-hmm. lesson plan component of it. Here's the reality this could actually support you for your human interaction. Yes. So we've got collaborative planning with teachers or we're about to have a professional development. Let's just be honest. When teachers go to professional development, 90% of the time, they're probably like, is this even going to be practical? Yeah. Is this worth the time they asked me to take away from what I could be doing, such as grading, planning, who knows, calling parents, who knows what, right? Right, right. Well, other thing is how we can start tailoring those experiences Mm-hmm. to really meet the needs of teachers and to yes. really personalize experiences. So I totally understand that that human to human, but I think there's so many ways that we could foster this 
we- yeah, and it's it's not an either or, you know. It reminds me, you know, we had the example of you know chess and AI, Deep Blue from back in the day. What's interesting about chess is that the AIs alone will beat a human alone. But if you pair a human with an AI, that's called a centaur. And the centaurs can keep up with AI and do interesting things because it's it's also augmented intelligence is the other angle that I, I've heard described here, where when you have access to the AI, it actually does kind of supercharge you, which is getting back to my previous point. I think with so many screens and so much technology in our lives and in our homes, I think keeping a lot of the tech out of the classroom probably will make sense. Except that if you think about it as kind of minority report to bring a sci-fi thing, like if if the teacher has access to more information and there's more ability to kind of tap into that tech to allow them to be better at, you know, both the human and the academic aspects of their jobs, I think that will be coming online. And the problem with K-12 is, you know, it's the old William Gibson quote, the future is here now, it's just not very evenly distributed. So it's going to be <laughs> going to be all over the place. It's going to be in pockets, yeah. you know, and that's why I'd say the more you can find like a community of practice, you know, people mm-hmm. who are interested in the same stuff. It's really what this is to some extent. I know this is what Kidum is trying to do is kind of like build these touch points where you can engage with folks who are thinking about the same stuff and realize you're not in it alone. Both, mm-hmm. you know, teachers can feel that way. And I think even administrators don't always necessarily have networks with other it can be lonely at the top. Like there's not always oh. a lot of other people you can connect with. You can't say that enough. And I think, and and as you say that, we've got Sean who just put in, Sean Carlson just put yeah. in there, I love reading about it. He's giving a real experience of how they're tackling ChatGBT, right? Mm-hmm. And I love how they even, this is how they're starting off with it. Here's the reality. I'm a trial error person. Like Sean, I love this idea. They're getting parental consent. They're putting structures around it to where kids, when they're utilizing in schools, it's monitored, right? So again, these are ideas because what's going to end up happening is we're going to try out some structures. We're going to try out some things and we're going to find something stick. And it's like, yeah, this was a good way to approach it. We found major success with it. But if we don't talk about it as educators and share these ideas and we stay in our silos, people don't know what to do. And that's why I love that they just shared that because we need to know how do we effectively use this? for our students or for our teachers. Again, because at the end of the day, every educator that sits in their seat is there because they're there for kids. Right. As much as we talk about everything else, when we think about chat GPT and people are afraid of it, it could be a fear of what kids can do with it, right? Sure. So it always goes back to this kid concept. We just want what's best for our kids. And that's one thing like Kidham stands on is that personalization piece. Yeah. But the other piece is, is training and structure. And so now we're going to kind of shift into that administrative mode. We've talked a little bit around the teacher component of it. Yep. But administratively, as we all know, educators out there everywhere, your district makes the decisions at the end of the day. As much as you try to put structures or you could do parental consent notes going home in your schools, it depends on how your districts and counties are set up. But we've got to support our districts in understanding what is ChatGPT and what are other districts doing that's working or they have found pitfalls with? And so I know that part of that is training and listening to podcasts such as this. I know yeah. Mike probably listened to a bajillion podcasts on yeah. AI articles and so have I. So tell me a little bit about what you're kind of hearing when you're going to these podcasts and things and just thinking about administratively how we support that with districts. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes back to that 
policy side, like actually having a policy and figuring out how to get one if you don't have one. Uh, it does remind me a little bit of, you know, when I look at a, a Senate hearing where they bring in the heads of all the AI companies from Silicon Valley and you realize that the senators who are interviewing them have no idea what they're asking. I think that's very much true at the administrator level. And this is where you know, the imposter syndrome is real, you know, like, I feel like you yeah. can be put in a place where you're being asked to make decisions about things you don't really understand. Mm -hmm. And that can be scary. But that's where, you know, I'd say look for trusted partners, I will say the AI EDU project, the AI education project was one, I think it's AIEDU.org. Alex Katran, who I had on the show was good. The Department of Education is doing a lot of stuff around releasing policies and kind of briefings mm -hmm. around artificial intelligence, what it means. Philippa Hardman is another name out there who's, she's out of the UK, out of Manchester, but she's amazing. She's almost an accelerationist. She's a real believer in the power of this stuff for your educators. So I'd say, you know, try to find, you know, we can share some links or resources. My podcast is trending in education, trending in ed.com. If you want to check out some of the interviews that I've had, but yeah, I do think it's a time as an administrator to look for help. I'd also mm -hmm. want to look, for, you, you mentioned professional development, you know, sessions like this are happening all the time. So I think it's sort of finding trusted resources, you know, folks who you kind of believe that they're not overly, you know, leaning one way or another, trying to sell you something. They're actually trying to give you a, a, a kind of impartial perspective. I think it's an important time. This is sort of a related point. There's a lot of like junk content being developed now that AI is out there. So the curation problem is becoming more real. So I would say, depending on where you sit on the thought leadership continuum, I'd say either find them or become one and start pointing people to the light. You know, there's a lot of doom scrolling and negativity out there, but there's also a lot of rays of hope that we need to kind of focus a little bit more on. So I would say, especially, and it's got to be particularly hard if you're an administrator, because there's a lot that you're juggling with, you know. So. <laughs> just add it to the plate, Mike. Just yeah. add it to the plate. Well, especially, I mean, it reminds me, like, uh, I talked to, like, war college military forecaster folks, you know, and there's an acronym from that neck of the woods from the military called VUCA, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And the idea is that we're now in a VUCA world. You know, the only thing constant now is change. Like it is yeah. going to be a very disruptive universe around us. And this is, I was mentioning this to you earlier. It's like, be the beautiful swan to some extent where you're in the leadership mode. You can be scrambling underneath the surface, but you ultimately need to, you know, Maybe. show that you have it under control to some extent. But then I also think it's a time for even our administrators to admit they're human and mm -hmm. give themselves the room to recharge, rely on others, ask for help. And then, you know, it, there's just so much noise out there. You do have to find people you trust so that, you know, you're not wasting your time because there's more bad information out there as well. So be careful out there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's finding that community. I think naturally as educators, we do that anyway. Like, there are Facebook groups, there are mm -hmm. um, tons of blogs that people read. And I think it's really talking to those who have tried it. What are they doing? Again, the more that you can get boots on the ground that have done it, used mm -hmm. it, trying mm -hmm. it. And again, I think it depends on the scenario, the district, the school of like how you structure it. 
And again, I think too, developmentally, like um, Sean was saying, you know, thinking about maybe in our elementary schools, chat GPT is something great for teachers to be able to utilize. Again, getting your knowledge questions, getting more question stems, and you can even do alignment to your state standards or whatever you're looking for, the PL. I think that would be powerful. Whereas in your middle highs, maybe that's where you're like, hey, we're going to actually start to expose our kids, but here's how we're using it. Again, I believe the more knowledgeable you are on something, the more equipped and effective you are to handle life, right? Because that GPT will not be the only new curveball that gets thrown in education. And so again, I just think it's really um, becoming me mindful about that. And I love how you talked about the policy piece. And that's where you need to reach out to other districts. I was just at a conference recently. I heard the lawyer for the district and she was speaking on behalf. And again, she would always say, this is how we did it in our district. I recommend you reaching out to, you know, at that time, your local lawyer, it was around school board policy, things like that. I think that's where that starts is you've got to be really looking within. And here's the other thing about education too. Parents need to be informed as well. Yes. The more we can give our parents information about what we're doing and and what's the good and the why and how we're using it, because they're getting the junk stuff too. Like they're reading stuff like, wait, is this what, is this how we're using it in school? Mm -hmm. Is this where we're headed? So I think to your point also, like having more forums where people can at least be heard, you know, even if you're not necessarily going to be able to, you know, solve all the problems and realize that the policies are challenging, but I, I think it's more your tone, like how you're engaging with your audience, you know, including parents and also including your teachers, you know, where like if you can develop a good school culture along the lines of what you're describing, Whitney, where you could probably adopt some best practices, some professional development and a little bit of engagement with your school board and PTA and what have you. And that's probably enough right Mm -hmm. now. And then just continue to signal that you're playing with your head up and you're paying attention to trends and you're ready to move if you need to. You know, that's where, like, I think you do want to be in the middle. Like, unless you're really ready for it, I don't think you necessarily want to be establishing new science around the use of this stuff. Like, I'd say, like, in that case, have a partner or two, you know, whether it's higher ed or industry partners and community. So you probably best case all of those things when you're trying to, like, really be cutting edge. Don't go it alone, you know, both within K-12, but then in particular, as you start partnering outside of your district. Yeah, yeah. I know we're kind of wrapping up. We're on our last little bit. And so I want to really make sure that we really hit the points of like the benefits, right? Because people came here today to talk about the practicality of AI and chat GPT in schools. And I know we've hit some of it. And I think the hard part too, is I, I see some of the questions are what does it look like and feel like in a high school humanities class? Or, you know, how would we utilize this with our district? And again, part of it is talking to districts and your local level leaders, right? About, you know, we're passionate about this. We want to know more about it. But when we think about the benefits, when we think about that more exploration for new topics and ideas, I really want to hit that because what research is really telling us around reading in general, right, is that students have to have background knowledge on these topics, right? And for those science and social studies teachers out there, those history teachers, I apologize now because in elementary world for so long, we shifted into a huge ELA and math concept, right? Mm -hmm. And that's so important. Hear me say But because schedules were so tight, we lost out on science and social studies in our lower grades. So then you get kids in middle and high and you're like, have you ever even had a science class? Right? Like you were asking Mm -hmm. these questions and guess what? You're not looking at these kids thinking we got to get you a diploma. We got to get you graduated. And so I love the fact that ChatGPT opens that door 
of allowing kids to explore topics and concepts. Mm-hmm. We'll think about in science right now with like ingrained phenomena. How cool would this yeah. be that your kid could get on? Because again, I'm not the science guru to be able to be like, oh, I know every science concept under the sun. No. Right. So there might be something a kid could want to learn more about. And yeah, just to- that alone would be a career shift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, it, it's a natural progression around career and technical education, which ah. has been a, a massive trend of late. That's part of what the Department of Education and the Biden administration was announcing. You know, there's more funding coming around the education around AI in the classroom. So, like, I do think sort of connecting the dots between those two things to bridge into this next phase, there's going to be a lot of STEM related AI work that. Mm-hmm. To your point also, Whitney, I think you could probably extend that into humanities because the idea of like future of work, ultimately you're going to, if you're a liberal arts, you know, undergrad, you're still going to need to use these tools if you want to be hired on the other end, you know? So there's a point at which you have to figure out how would we integrate the emerging tool set so that we're equipping some of the more future-proof ways of working into our learners, even as we're hitting our K-12 curriculum objectives. Yeah. And I love that because again, when we think about, you know, college and career readiness, like that is a hot topic that we're really thinking about our kids going college to career Mm. or just going high school to career either, right? Are two opportunities for kids. And again, the more that we expose kids to topics, ideas, and concepts, the more that they are going to understand for themselves, what's my skill set and what do I want to do with it? And then I think the other thing too, when we think about benefits, and again, I'm just going back to when I was in high school with high school administration or even in elementary, middle school, teachers would always say to me, they would always go, you know, or we would want the state to release exemplar examples of writing. This was one of the things we were always like, does the state have exemplars that we can see what are they looking for exactly, Right. How cool is this now? You can get exemplar pieces that you can actually support students with to support their writing. So again, I think it's how you, you want to utilize it. I think that's Mm. the piece that you do have control of. I think the feeling right now for educators sometimes is it feels out of control because it's accessible to anybody. If you can connect to the internet, anybody can access it. Mm -hmm. And I always love to say, and this is just me, control what you can control. Mm -hmm. Again, within your classroom and what you're doing or inside your school or inside your district, that's where you put those parameters. And again, mm-hmm. what they do when they go home, well, guess what? That's between them and the parent at that point. <laughs> so again, I think that, but educating them more, I think will actually provoke students to want to use it for the right things. It's yeah. Just kind of- yeah. I mean, the, the thing I've heard, and I think it's probably less applicable to teachers than other jobs, but I think eventually it'll be true of teachers too, is AI is not going to take your job. Somebody yeah. who's using AI yeah. is going to take your job. So I'd say, even in that case, it's going to take a while for the AI-powered human, but I feel like the AI-powered teacher in the future will probably be less burnt out, and right. that's ultimately a good thing, and yeah. that's where we got to figure out how do we get there, and who's ready to partner and innovate to do that, and who's going to need time to recover to get there, but yeah. but that's ultimately, I'm long-term, I'm hopeful. I think short-term, some folks are going to have trouble with the churn. You know, like things are going to be shook up maybe more than they're used to. But I'd say ultimately, we all need to treat our teachers better, respect them more. And hopefully this technology allows for more of that to happen. You know, they can be liberated from some of the things they really shouldn't be spending as much time on. Yeah. The other thing as a teacher, there is so much pressure on you. There's so much pressure on them just day to day. I mean, 
what teachers are facing day to day today versus 10 years ago, five years ago is very different. And so I think for teachers too, it, there's so much pressure around, we want you to know your students, right? Because that's what we're there for. But when you have three periods and yeah. each period has 30 kids in it, you know, we're up to 90 kids. It's sometimes really hard to always diagnose and be prescriptive to every single student, right? Mm -hmm. And then you talk about burnout and then you've got to grade papers. And so for like me, when I think about chat GPT is how this really can support, you can put a student's piece of work in there yeah. and actually like look for specific errors around, let's just say we're working around direct quotes or tone of a paper, right? It could support you to be able to support that student. So again, mm -hmm. we need to ensure that we're enabling teachers because if we don't enable the teachers, then yes, this will become a flop because they're the ones that are in front of these kids every day. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are having the parent call them and say, hey, what's, you know, and so that's where I, the more that we can empower our teachers with this. And again, with the way they see they can use it, we're going to see that change and we're going to see our scores grow in the nation as we desperately need to see students are really working towards mastery of those standards. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I think we're good. You ended with empowering teachers. So I don't think anybody wants to hear anything else but that. Empower teachers pay you more and more time off. I think I think I got them all. Uh, That's nice. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then play with this stuff a little bit. I'm a little spoiled, you know, he's still not five. He turns five in a couple of weeks. But like you're around a kid, they know how to play. You know, like there is an element of playing with the new technology. When you're doing it on your own, there's not a lot on the line. There's a lot of stuff out there that you might they find. They have recipes. Did you hear about the recipes? You can oh, yeah. This you could ask uh, for, you know, your eggnog snickerdoodles. If yeah. You want. Yeah. And it's a little bit, you know, it's water cooler chatter too. Like you want to be playing around with it. It's like, you know, just like Alexa was cool four or five years yeah. ago. And all that text coming together too. So like, there's a point at which, you know, your Roomba is going to be able to give the curricula to your kids. But anyway, it's a fun time. Try to be hopeful. Try to be positive. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you for everybody attending. Special thank you to Mike. This has been fabulous. that was a lot of fun. I really appreciate getting a chance to be on the other side of an interview. Whitney did an amazing job representing for administrators, K-12 teachers, all that. And it was fun to try to guide folks a little bit through the wacky world of artificial intelligence that we're all wading into nowadays. That'll wrap up this episode of Trending in Education. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. Oh.